The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC on ESPN Plus One Breakdown. New titles, new belts, but the same old approach. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i'm your host dan tom analysts work you can find on mmajunkie.com and five days a week on mma junkie radio but on this year program the protect your neck podcast we break down high level mma and that's what we're going to do here today tonight whenever you listen to this hopefully it's before the fight because uh giving you just barely a 24-hour window by the time this bad boy gets released Recording it in the hour, turning to afternoon here after the weigh-ins. Um, yes, everybody made weight successfully. That was a big talking point. No, I would like to say that was the reason why I kept it to post weigh-ins over my typical Thursday uh, releases. It, 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 it is not. Uh, it's just been kind of a crazy week overall. But Dan, you had a couple weeks to get. I know, I know. But the, you know, there's normal living too, as well as trying to prepare for this. And I did. I've been breaking this card down actually since last week, but um, just a lot of interruptions this week. I will save you the excuse because this will be an expedited breakdown episode, but yeah, um, uh, good news, kind of parlaying good news is, uh, into that excuse, I guess, is uh, MMA Junkie Radio is now live. Uh, hopefully you guys are getting the, uh, the the memos and the announcements and tweets and keeping up to date on that. We, we, we were a morning show for many years, uh, and, and uh, now... Uh, the guys recently reestablished a live deal uh, rather than the replay slot at MMA on Sirius XM. Everybody been there. Uh, there has been super supportive. And uh, I know the guys have been bucking for a live slot for a while for the show. So it's now on 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time, Sirius XM Fight Nation 93. Um, as I'm getting... Uh, emails for you. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, apropos, it's just, it's just, you know, everybody's kind of getting u- used to the schedule, and uh, unfortunately, it's just been nonstop between the cohabitating show that I've kind of complained about before on this podcast that we're, that's leaving us as surprises, whether it's damaged or things being damaged and moving around or lost uh, every time we go into studio, or uh, a plethora of uh, technical difficulties for those of you who usually follow the show on stream and been seeing. So yeah, if I look like Emilio Estevez from Mission Impossible in the elevator trying to clip the right wire, uh, that's essentially what I have felt like for this whole week. And it's been very, very hard to, uh, to focus with the, with, uh, with, with, we'll just say, uh, it's causing a lot of issues pre and post and, uh, and yeah, everything's just a lot of things are changing. So, um, until uh, I get my own changes going, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a kind of at, at, at the whim of that. But with that being said, uh, I, again, I'm, I'm not uh, quickly forgetting about New Year's resolutions or anything like that. I, I do be, I do intend to step this show up even further this year and stick to those goals and refocus more on analysis. What I do, the only reason why I'm here, and I can't forget about that. So, uh, so uh, doing my best, folks, doing my best, but believe me, it's been an insane week, and I'm just essentially 
spinning multiple plates uh, behind the scenes, uh, whether it's a parent or not. So anyways, neither here nor there. Nobody cares about that. Um, yeah, so debut card here in ESPN, ESPN Plus. I'm probably going to have to get it tonight. I'm still running late on that. I'm one of those last-minute people. When it comes to that whole deal, I'm not a sports watcher, so I don't know how much weight I'm going to have as far as that comparison analysis goes. You know, I mean, even when I watched basketball, it was back in the day and, and ESPN wasn't, you know, unless you wanted highlights, I, I, that was never a thing. Like, I was catching the highlights on ESPN. I, I, I missed that, man. I'm not the typical sports dude. Um, new belts. Yeah, they look like a mix of the WWE belts um, and. Power Rangers, something from Power Rangers, though. So. I don't really dig it, to be honest. Um, and, yeah. Not much to say about that. Uh, I, I, I like the older ones. Um, uh, anyways, I don't want to go on a rant on that. Uh, a lot of matchups being announced, because there's a lot of fights, so I guess that's not too crazy. And, uh, man... Has it ever been harder to root for Dana White than it is recently? <laughs> I guess I'll bring him up apropos when we get to the Greg Hardy breakdown. I'll just save it for there. Um, and as well as answering a question from a listener, which I always encourage, Desru, at Desru, uh, loyal listener of the podcast, asked a question he wanted to know if uh, Joanne Calderwood and who else was Live Dogs? Who did he ask? Pull it up right now, sir. But I always encourage you guys to uh, you know tweet the podcast or, or me. Uh, the podcast, of course, at the PYN podcast. Give it a follow. We'll not spam your feed. And uh, you know, um, at, at Dan Tom MMA, of course. I'm sure you already know if you're listening to this uh, this madness. Let me find my man Desru's tweet here. And you know, it doesn't have to be about MMA either. You know, it, it could be about you know, freaking whatever you want. Here it is. And Ortiz, Dustin Ortiz. Yes, they're both live dogs. Um, I'm not picking them, spoiler alert, and I'll explain why when we get to the matchups as I'm going to dive into here. And yeah, they, yeah. so any questions, feel free to shoot that way until I uh, get a handle on the old email. Okay, um, you know, I, I kind of like the top to bottom starts. I was doing it for bigger cards, and uh, it just feels like my energy level is going to... Uh, give the best to the main event, so I'm going to go ahead and do it that way, although it shouldn't matter on this because I really do want to keep this one under an hour. I'm aiming for 45 minutes, but I know more realistically uh, a goal will be under an hour. I'm sure you guys can peek ahead and look into the future and see if Dan Tom uh, did it or not, and while you do that, we will start from the top. Henry Cejudo, the defending flyweight champion, is the underdog, plus 180. TJ Dillashaw, the challenger, uh, bantamweight champion, minus 220. Of course, this one I do have the in-depth breakdown up on MMAJunkie.com. Um, and, and yes, uh, you know, the big question was Dillashaw uh, missing weight. And not that Henry Cejudo can't win or doesn't have multiple paths to win. He still does. But I think a lot of people picking Cejudo was on the predication that TJ Dillashaw wasn't, you know, going to look himself. Now, he doesn't look himself, and he still has to fight. And we will see. So there's still, I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, the question, the door is still open. But I got to imagine anybody back in Dillashaw feel a little better. And anybody back in Cejudo, uh, all right, let's see how the stylistic matchup and let's see how he performs. And that's the big question. I can't answer that for you here. 
But um, I can tell you, I guess, why I picked picked TJ Dillashaw. Um, yes, you know, great champion, great fighter, underrated pound-for-pound pound guy who can really make his way up the ranks, especially with, if he does win. Um, should have the advantage standing. Now, I think, you know, I hate to say, it's going to be angles, man. It's going to be angles, but... I really do think angles will be key. Uh, Henry Cejudo has been very, pretty, pretty bread and butter basic with his shots. You know, he's always kind of had kind of cross hook, um, you know, cross hook combinations, kind of leaping in, finishing with the body kick or knees, depending on what space he ends up or crashes and collapses into. Uh, he's gotten better. He's evolved with that Muay Thai and really sharpened that up. And then took it a step farther, you know, with that Wilson Hayes fight after working with the Pitbull brothers down in Brazil, getting a little bit of that karate, uh, pull and return style, right? Wider stance. The common thread though, is a lot of it was pretty linear, pretty back and forth for the most part. Um, which was maybe another reason why, uh, Demetrius Johnson was able to land like leg kicks, which is something that, I didn't really address in the breakdown, not because I didn't plan to. It was a part of my notes, but you got to understand that, for one, my, my <laughs> I love my editors, and I got a real nice supportive staff around me at MMA Junkie, but uh, let's just say the, my pieces are probably not the favorite. Uh, they're obviously amongst the longer ones, and uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't get notes for the to chop them down a bit. So within those, a lot of times, a lot of details get missed. So I'm really trying, just trying to find that balance to appease everybody while still, you know, being myself. So forgiveness there. And this one was not even really to that. You know, this one was more toward me forgetting because, uh, again, I've actually been breaking down this card since last week, but between uh, real life stuff, uh, oh, traded in traded in the ride, by the way. Uh, got well, Not a new car, a used car, but, but uh, something I've been looking for is pretty sweet. But yeah, between real life events, and uh, things and, and 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 yeah, you know, work itself and all the big changes. It's it's been, uh, you know, you, before I, I would just kind of dedicate blocks to matchups and kind of get them all dedicate a block to a matchup. That way, I don't start and stop because when I start and stop, you know, you lose a lot of details. You gotta get to a certain you know thing where I gotta pull up before I even look at the footage. I gotta start memorizing, you know, not, not memorizing, but remembering details by pulling up old breakdowns, pulling up old notes, pulling up the old sure dogs and tapologies and fight metrics and all that good stuff, right? And then you're like, okay, where are we at? Oh, okay. And then you're, you're focusing, you're focusing, and then you get taken away from something, okay, well, I'll get it, or oh, my brain's running out, I'll, I'll pass out and pick up tomorrow. And you almost seem to miss things through the cracks, so. That's why there was no mention of the leg kicks there. But yeah, um, TJ Dillashaw, I got to imagine, is going to try to take advantage of that as far as the linear attacks go. Uh, not known for his leg kicks. He obviously has got the highlight real head kick finishes, but they're very good. You know, he threw, threw some very nice ones against Dominic Cruz, who's a really hard guy to hand leg kicks on. But I love that matchup with Cruz and Dillashaw. Um, you know, because um, you, you see... You see him timing, you know, Dominic Cruz eventually kind of would pattern off and start circling off to his left, and Dillashaw picks up on that. So when he circles off to his left, he meets him with a really just thudding right leg kick, and it was really beautiful stuff, and he does it a couple of times. And I love it. Dominic Cruz kind of notices it, so he dances. He kind of shuffles left right on the outside, and then when he engages and kind of starts sweeping to that left side again, he's waiting. And sure enough, Dillashaw 
cranks out another leg, he can dominate, you know, catches it, takes him down, and becomes the first person uh, to take TJ Dillashaw down in the UFC or in his MMA career, really. Um, and I believe took him down twice. Couldn't do too much with it. Uh, but uh, again, using it to kind of score rounds, which I got to imagine is a part of Henry Cejudo's plan. You know, we had Eric Albasin, his head coach, on our on the show on May Junkie Radio this week, and he was just saying we want to make pressure, not take pressure. And uh, I got to imagine that's got to be be wrestling and collapsing the distance because when it comes to counters, T- Cejudo's gotten better at it, but nobody punctuates exchanges better than. Than T.J. Dillashaw. I mean, I think he proved that against a guy like Cody Garbrandt, who has pinpoint counters, who has really good pocket awareness, say what you will, or your suspicions of his chin. All those things are there and potent, and he was able to take it and able to counter uh, to different and great effects, both winning both those fights and, and just kind of showing that style of pulling and returning, um, punctuating combinations, if you will, and, and he just does that so well. So it's just going to come down to really those clinch exchanges, you know, as I wrote in the point of interest, clinch or chaos, you know, is, is it going to be chaos and, and, and uh, Dillashaw separating and creating scrambles and separations? Or can Cejudo get the control, chain off, uh, and still secure takedowns? That's going to be a big question. I don't think he's going to be able to submit Dillashaw. And in fact, I know nobody, you know, Henry Cejudo was willing to say, you know, I'll, I'll tap out if he even just takes me down, no submissions. And I don't doubt that Henry Cejudo has good reason to be that confident against his takedown defense. Even someone like Dillashaw, who's got good timing. But uh, I actually, you know, put in the breakdown to look out for and scrambles for Dillashaw's back take. You know, he'll remind guys when possible. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, if the scramble ensues and because Henry's a habit of turtling and you know, Dillashaw putting him in check and just, just capitalizing on a round. I, I, I don't see him submitting Suhudo unless Suhudo's hurt. But, yeah, I mean, just things to look out for. So, really interesting stuff. Um, under plus money, four and a half. Uh, I believe uh, I picked decision with a, a, a possibility of a stoppage late. So, I actually, I'm not going to lie, I actually threw, a, you know, a couple dollar flyers uh, on rounds four and five just to fuck around uh, for degenerate-wise. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I stayed away. Uh, it looks like the Dillashaw line only went up higher. I was hoping it would go down, only went up higher. Um, you know, if you were going to bet Dillashaw, I got to imagine you pulled the trigger right around that way in time before or after to get the best price on him. But either way, uh, even now in hindsight, I don't know how comfortable, um, I feel laying it down. Um, if I put together a little funsy parlay, it'll be with a couple guys lower in the card so I can just enjoy the main carters I tend to do, and I let you know those guys as we come across them. Uh, co-main event, which was, feels weird to say because it hasn't been promoted as such, nor should it. Doesn't doesn't deserve to be, regardless of uh, fighters' personal history. For many reasons, it doesn't deserve to be. If we're going to include that, uh, but Greg Hardy comes in as your favorite, minus five hundred versus Alan Crowder, plus four hundred. Man, I wanted every excuse to pick Crowder, but um. But yeah, this is a tailor-made matchup. A guy's very hittable, doesn't really move his head too much. Uh, doesn't have big knockout power. And Crowder actually coming in heavier. Looks like a guy who could make light heavyweight when he was weighing in at like the 230s, 225 to 230 mark. And now he's coming in almost 20, almost or over 25 pounds heavier, 252. And I think because when I was looking at his Instagram and stuff, and he like he looks like he teaches kids at this like kind of home gym over in North Carolina or whatever. And uh 
He's got like a knee brace. Looks like he's like fresh off an injury. Like man, it looks like they they really handpicked this guy for Hardy, man. And if I'm gonna be critical about Hardy, I have to be fair about him in other areas. And uh, if I'm gonna be obviously more you know important, if I'm gonna you know, fucking jokingly hold this title, <laughs> I say jokingly, I'm like, hard time taking myself seriously, folks. But hold this title of a fight analyst. I gotta put biases aside as best I can and. Analyze the fight, and yeah, from just analyzing the, the potential fight, I, I got to pick Hardy here, who although hasn't shown much, he really uh, shows a aptitude for staying aware in the pocket, moving his right hand. He kind of leans back and can be taxed by really good strikers right now, but I don't think he's going to be pitted against those guys right away. Um, and a little bit we got to see of his wrestling, you have to go look at like his regional fights, uh, pro, and... Uh, You'll see him kind of, he's got a good sprawl, heavy hips, um, aware of the front headlock and how to navigate around it. Looks like that's his second inclination where he really likes to go to a side ride. And where he gets to finish, it's not really a proper area where you'd see you guys get a finish. It looks like kind of an unstable area, but he's balanced just enough to hit, which shows that that's really all he needs. Like that's how powerful, uh, it's easy to say heavyweight, powerful football player, powerful athlete, powerful. I, I get that that word kind of loses its meaning, but it really has a stupid power to him. Um, you know, stupid is, stupid does, and, and he's got it. He's got he's got it in that department uh, because he just finishes kind of from this weird position. But what kind of shows why, I'm like, oh, man, if he actually gets to a proper side ride, like a side ride isn't when a guy's turtled, you're kind of, your arm's kind of over, you know, like you're putting your buddy over your hand over your buddy's shoulder, like hey buddy old pal, but you're doing that to their back because they're turtled, and uh, your far side arm is free to to punch and and do what it likes. So I could see a situation like that coming, and him getting the finish that way. Um, I did sprinkle on Crowder because it's just plus four hundred odds, and how are you gonna root or, or put money on a, a domestic abuser? So whatever. That's that. Um, let me take a seat. Up. Sorry, my voice is going. Even though I'm back on the workout train this week, sleep hasn't been great. Um, and, uh, yeah, when I'm stressed and the diet or I'm drinking coffee like I am now and I shouldn't be, um affects the vocal cords, creates a unhealthy environment and uh, to the point where it uh, eats away at my vocal cords. So, fun, I know. Um, stress, it's not good, people. Uh, Got to... Uh, Minimize it as much as possible. Anyways, nobody cares, Dan. Uh, all right, uh, next flight. Yancey Madero's plus 400 is your underdog against Gregor Gillespie, minus 500. This fight is actually on my avoid list. Um, and I'll tell you why. I'm, I pick is Gregor Gillespie uh, for the same reasons, although I think his underrated striking may have a chance to shine. Yancey Madero's welterweight or lightweight seems to get rocked in every fight. Um, and... and uh, even though he looks healthy making the cut, healthier than other guys cutting down on this card. Um, I don't know how much I can trust it. And, you know, Gregor, like you said, he's Frankie Edgar 2.0 with, with even better wrestling and maybe even better finishing instinct, not ability. I still think, you know, Edgar... Can maybe say he's, he's got you know, a better accoladed all around, well versed grappler. I wouldn't take that away or argue that against that too strongly, but for now. But man, uh, Gregor Leslie also has that Frank Edgar esque where you know you could fake that 
level-changing shot and come up with a strike, and that surprise almost pops guys, you know, and whether he's disguising it off a jab or a level change, that left hook uh, from Gregor, and he'll follow it up with the right hand when he's feeling it. Uh, he's not afraid to. Uh, really has some pops. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. But, you know, Madero's got that counter left. If he comes out from southpaw, which I suspect he might. More importantly, you know, what I realized, especially when I'm going really deep into uh, uh, Madero's earlier in his career, was that this dude actually has a wrestling base. He uh, was a high school wrestler and had some, I think he even had some offers in college, but wanted to stay in Hawaii, which we've heard before. And, um, and yeah, you look at it, he really hasn't given much takedowns. Like, the only guys to take him down were decent takedown threats, like a strong guy, super, you know, retarded strong guys in the clinch. Like, uh, sorry for using that word. Dan, you always apologize and use the word. Yes, that is that is a trademark of the Protect Your Neck podcast. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, like guys like uh, Cowboy Oliveira, Francisco Trinaldo, but even then... It wasn't until, like, the third round in both those fights after, like, Madero's was rocked a bunch of times in what were crazy wars, right? Or second round, I should say, maybe for the uh, Cowboy Oliveira fight toward the end of it. But still, it proves the point. And even in those takedowns, and he's rocked and, you know, out on his feet, he's still like, hard to hold down. He, he's really good at turtling out to his base and not giving his back, uh, turtling up. And when he does give his back, he's really good at turning into guys' guards. Um, and uh, not very many people have been able to get up or turn into their guard, but we've seen guys in the UFC uh, do that uh, who, you know, against Gregor Gillespie. So I, I, uh, I actually, you know, I actually think Madero's is going to be real tough for Gregor to get down. We've seen longer guys, their frame can defend against the cage, like Glockio Franca and others uh, also um, provide decent resistance before those takedowns even happen. So I think Gregor will eventually get it done, but I don't even know if it's going to be inside the distance. I think it's just going to be a three-round war with maybe Gregor getting a late stoppage uh, or Madero's maybe even getting the upset. So uh, that's my dog drinking water. Um, it's a dog or pass, man, uh, unless you were one of the people who, you know, juiced it up early. I don't even know what the opener was, but yeah, yeah, that, that one's a, a dog or pass in, a, in my book. All right, next fight is uh, Dustin Ortiz, your underdog, plus 200, and the favorite, Joseph Benavidez, minus 240. Well, Joseph Benavidez, it was kind of interesting take because, you know, he's kind of preparing for possibly three guys, and now that the drama, for the most part, is settled, unless something happens um, in the 24-hour period before the fight, he's going to be fighting Dustin Ortiz, which is a tough fight. I mean, he won it before. You know, he was able to defend most of the takedowns, and obviously Joseph Benavidez is a really good scrambler. So one of the, even late into his career, I'm sure he's still one of the few guys who can actually contend and not necessarily get, get swallowed by Dustin Ortiz there. The problem is Dustin Ortiz has been really working on his uh, striking, and, you know, sample sizes are a little crafty there, so you got to be careful of the accolades. But he does have, you know, stoppage accolades at the division and only seems to be getting with, working with CSA, uh, in California, and even going uh, up northern a, a little bit further to, you know, AKA in San Jose, uh, where it looks like he spent a little bit of time at both this camp and finishing out um, on the East Coast, back home in Nashville. Uh, so, uh, the dude's a hard worker, obviously, you know. State chopping, chop, chop. He really, really wants that state chopping. Uh, oh, Dustin Ortiz. Oh, he really wants that to, to, to be the... Uh, 
to be the moniker. I can just imagine if like a zombie like apocalypse broke out and this is madness. It's like bedlam everywhere, right? People are getting torn apart, running for cars. Some people are fighting back, trying to gather yourself. I could just see like out of nowhere, like you just hear, and you just you see a Dustin Ortiz just running with an axe, like kind of like they, that that fight scene with Anchorman where it's just madness, right? The guy, the guy on fire, just wading through the crowd, like that's like Dustin Ortiz with a battle axe. You see this little like midget dude, like oh my god, what the fuck are we in Middle Earth? <laughs> uh, ben, I know Benjamin, you're not impressed. I know. Hey, I didn't bring up the Willow joke this time, Benjamin. All right, anyways, um, no, honestly, Dustin Ortiz is a live dog. Back to uh, Desiree's point, and Joseph Benavidez, you know, I'll always be rooting for this guy. Perhaps maybe that's why I ended up. Uh, picking them, so again, beware there. But uh, this one kind of worries me because you know, not just the price tag, but just in general. I mean, we've seen Benavidez rocked um, of late in his career, and maybe that's why a lot of us, including I think, yeah, even, even myself, picked Alex Perez um, against him. But you know, on rewatch that fight, I, I think a lot of us missed it live, and we were so focused on the ridiculous stoppage by Eve Levine, who usually is not a bad ref. But, you know, he touches the fighters to stop the fight and then gets a reaction from Joby and allows Alex back in the fight. And then Joby has to stop him again. But if you look at what initially hurt Alex, it looked like a headbutt. And even Joseph Benavidez was admitting as much, saying to his corner, apologizing, goes, you know, Joseph, all class, right? He's like, dude, I think we clash heads and I just maybe have the harder head. I don't know. And it was just such a gentleman. Uh, but, but, yeah, so I... I don't want to take away from Joseph, but even he's kind of admitting that himself. And uh, so I, I'm still not sure exactly where he's at. I like this matchup better than a Davis and Figueredo matchup. I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm still picking him to win here. Uh, I think it's going to be probably a narrow decision, though, if he does. I I, I still think uh, Dustin Ortiz, for his improvements in striking, his defense, he still doesn't seem the best at moving his head. And if guys can kind of get out of their head, that, he, that, that they're being pressured by Dustin Ortiz and can just throw offense back, I think they're pretty successful. Uh, so the fact that Joseph Benavidez, win or lose, rock or not, has no issues countering or coming forward, I think that's ultimately what's going to save him, of course, backed by his wrestling takedown offense and ability to scramble. So picks, picks Joseph Benavidez, but I don't blame anybody um, playing the dog because I wasn't confident enough to pick Joseph. Um all right, Paige Van Zant. Next fight is your favorite at minus one fifty. Come back on Rachel Ostovich plus one thirty. Uh, Brian Schoonover, my buddy, a friend of the show, was co-host before. Many of you guys' favorite fighter, maybe because you know, closer a fighter it looks like they're related to me, the less attractive they are. Uh, so again, Asian Asian Pacific Islander chicks are attractive, but yeah, I don't know. It doesn't quite do it for me. But I'm not picking fights based on that. Uh, I am wishing Ostovich well. I wanted to pick her here, but uh, I just feel like Paige Van Zant fighting at her best is is a bad matchup, and at, at heart is a bad matchup. You know, say what you will about Paige, um, she is tough. I know that's a really bad measurement that we try to be careful about these days, because it usually means the person's getting beat up. But for what it's worth, she's not one to look for the door early, and victory or defeat, and. Uh, the grappling and scrambling is there, which is what she's going to need against somebody like Rachel Ostovich, who that's her bread and butter. Ostovich uh, looks like a decent takedown threat, but against someone like Paige Van Zant, who prefers the same style of takedowns um, is from, and is familiar with those attacks, I don't see it being too much of a problem. 
Um, and I could, in fact, see her getting the submission or an accumulation uh, stoppage. Uh, but my pick here is, is Van Zant, probably by decision. I think it'd be really heartbreaking, uh, but I, 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 I could see her get a late, late stoppage. I stayed away from this, you know, maybe because maybe this, that's where my heart does play in. Maybe not for the picks, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't put money either way on this. Um, the over is minus 230 at 2.5. I'm not even confident in that because, I, again, I could see Van Zandt getting the stoppage. And we'll be really happy if Ostovich wins. But if she does, it'll be by breaking that over, too, by getting an upset submission. So, um, yeah, I got Van Zandt. All right, next fight. Glover Teixeira kicks off the main card as a favorite, minus 220, with a late replacement, Carl Roberson, stepping in. Uh, stepping in, I, I forget for who, but uh, on late notice. Uh, plus 100. I, I could see why the line is close. I don't blame anybody taking Roberson, but this is probably my last ride with Teixeira. I've taken him before, and yeah, you know, I've gotten burned on times. And I picked him against like Anthony Johnson, which sounds crazy in retrospect. Um, and then I also picked him against Corey Anderson, which less crazy in retrospect, but uh, it, it, Corey Anderson on that upswing stylistically, to, 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 not 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 the craziest thing. And that was the worst looking Glover Teixeira, you know, which worries me going into this fight. That's why I said my last ride. I mean, we really could be looking at a shot Teixeira, and I'm a guy who defends him. That being said, uh, minus 120, low enough odds favorite should be. So I'm taking a shot. On him here, I actually threw a unit on him, um, and I don't blame anybody, you know, sprinkling on those uh, submission props because I think he's going to do a, a takedown clinic. I, that's what I expected him to do to Cannoneer, and he did, and that's the reason why I picked him against Johnson and, and against, you know, a guy like Robertson, you know, these explosive striker types because I feel like if he can not survive because I, even he knows he can't depend on his chin at this point in his career, but if he can get around one way or another. Um, and even just in the second round, I just feel like the scales tip dramatically in his favor. Glover's always been an underrated wrestler, at least offensively. I know there have been really guys that have been able to tax that, but it's guys like Corey Anderson who is able to, you know, school and clown guys like Pat Cummings or guys like, you know, Phil Davis who are accoladed wrestlers, obviously, in their own right. So I feel like Glover kind of still gets a bad rap in the wrestling department. I feel like he could still do that. And if he's healthy with a... He hasn't faced many southpaws, granted, but I feel like that lead leg of Carl Roberson is just begging to be snatched. And Glover's best and most effective takedown, the one he goes for the most as well, all those things are is that snatch signal where he loves chaining off from that single leg. And again, orthodox of south, it's going to be right there. He's just going to snatch it, I think. Um, so I got Glover and Glover by submission. Uh, so I kind of uh, touched both those angles. But, you know, if, if Roberson gets hits him with that counter left, um, and just crushes him early in that first round, I wouldn't be surprised. So good luck to if you're on that, but I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on Glover with one last ride here. All right, speaking of ride, the Cowboy is riding again at lightweight. He is the underdog at plus 160, which was a, maybe initial surprise to some. First, Alex Hernandez, now at minus 185, kind of been bouncing between that number and minus 200. Um, I got Hernandez in here. This is another fight that I actually did the in-depth breakdown over at uh, MMA Junkie. You can go over there and check out. But, uh, but yeah, um, essentially, I, I just 
I think this could be a tough matchup stylistically. It's hard to be confident in that because the sample size is limited in Hernandez. But that's a two-way street. I mean, Cerrone reminded you know us, especially people like myself, who picked against him that you know careful doing that and that whole cliche. But uh, that he is a proven product at the end of the day, right? But that could go two ways. He is a proven product, but you know what's coming. And if it's fighting against somebody who's smart, which I would argue Alexander is. And I would argue Mike Perry is the opposite. Um, it, it could be a, it could be a flip a role reversal, you know, a smart guy who can who can dissect everything. And his little sample size says, "Yeah, you don't know much about me." Man, that makes him a real dangerous dude. And the fact that he was able to out grapple um, and out grind a guy like Aubin Mercier, who might as well have been a welterweight. He's one of the thicker, more stronger uh, lightweights, and he fought him. And felt him in his strength. Um, that's very impressive. Um, I'll be interested to see which way Alexander Hernandez moves. He'll dip his head to the right, but then he's also good about moving to the left against Southpaws, which he's gotten a lot of, and was scheduled against his third uh, before getting this fight. Uh, he was supposed to fight Francisco Masaranduba Trinaldo. But uh, Hernandez looks like he knows distance very well, and even kind of alluded to when he was saying, I'm not going to respect Cerrone, his aura, his resume, his distance, like he's real smart. He's measured in there. He's gonna, he's gonna come in on him, man. If he catches him on the wing with a right hand, I guess I wouldn't be surprised to see it rocks Rooney's world. Or, you know, he doesn't show devastating like liver shots, but he does work the body in close. He does kick to the body and punch to the body in clinch space and at mid range. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised for Hernandez to go for it, but those knees I think are gonna be Cerrone's most potent weapon against Hernandez. I'll be interested to see. Uh, what level he keeps. Hernandez does seem to be, in general, he keeps his head at chest level, which is smart when you're entering space, you know. You're changing your level, uh, dipping it, which you can allow you to body punch, still sling overhand rights, get your head offline somewhat for the most part. And, of course, if you're shooting, they say a little higher than what you'd normally do for wrestling because of knees or kicks that can come up and turn into knees. So, I mean, Hernandez seems to kind of have those fundamentals down already. So I see him pressing into Cerrone's chest and just blasting him and grinding him against the fence. Uh, it's going to come down to can he get caught by Cerrone's knees or inside Cerrone's guard? Obviously, you can't say that's underrated. He's so proven there. He's so dangerous. He can catch black belts there. Granted, a lot of times they have to be hurt first. Um, the little grappling I've seen from Hernandez. He looks to have good head and hand position, hand fighting. Uh, so... You know, working with Daryl Lynch or Leash or whatever the fuck, Daryl Christensen. I don't know why I just you go by that, see that Instagram handle. But uh, that guy seems to do a good job with his fighters. Um, and while Cerrone is still kind of nomad at BMF Ranch and, you know, doing his own thing, which worried me about the weight cut, which was another big reason why I picked against him. Just didn't look good. I made weight all right, but. This is the worst he looked on it. And, and when I was going back and watching footage, I went back to watch some old Cerrone just for the hell of it and get that feel, kind of feel his youthfulness and then go back and watch newer tape to see how much of that glow he still had. And man, he was just so slim back then and he just seemed so much more healthier and filled out when he came up to Walter Waite. And not saying he's the biggest Walter Waite, which he wasn't, but obviously, but I didn't like the way he was going to have to look to get back down to lightweight. I didn't like it. We'll see how he performs, but... He might not feel great, get out there and realize it, and realize he's got a hungry kid in front of him who just wants it more, and we might just see him fold. 
Um, and I know that's what uh, Alexander Hernandez is going for. So, so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, uh, pick is Hernandez. Uh, uh, played heavy on him for me at minus one eighty five. Uh, also put him in a a leg for a little for fun parlay I'm doing. Um, all right, uh, next fight, jo- jo- Joanne Calderwood, uh, underdog plus one sixty. Adrian Lipsky, uh, favorite minus one eighty five. Um, I was I wanted to pick JoJo. I'm a, I'm a big fan of JoJo. I wanted to pick her real bad as the dog here, but uh, I couldn't confidently. Um, Lipsky just athletic on balance, the real deal with striking and getting better with her grappling as a recent submission wins. And just from what I saw from her place position really well, that Muay Thai transfers well. Like she's not hungry to lose position, which I like. She knows how to collapse her weight on legs and kind of pass and collapse a position. Like that was more impressive than the submission win for me. Um, with her uh, KSW, I believe it was like her second KSW fight or third fight ago. And KSW promotion, I would love to go to one of these shows, really would. Um, probably the next closest thing to UFC as far as what you're going to experience, which sounds kind of audacious, but uh, from the people who I trust their opinion, and I could see it too, just the, the crowds they draw and how big. I mean, KSW in Poland is bigger in MMA than UFC is, which is hard for people. Another thing hard for people to wrap their minds around. And she got to taste that as a foreigner, so she also got that experience of traveling overseas multiple times. So, yeah, nothing substitutes a UFC experience, but she's gotten as close as you can. Uh, Training at King's MMA, training with just, you know, super legit people uh, all across the board. So, I believe Cyborg, too. (coughs) Whereas Joanne Calderwood, she's happier in her training, which is great. And that usually translates well. She's happy at her new weight class, which is definitely great. She doesn't need to be killing herself. Um, but what worried me was, I, I just remember thinking, I'm like, okay, well, how's it going to work? Who's she working with with the ground? Because I understand the drama, and I don't subscribe. I don't understand it. I don't know it, but I, enough of it to go, yeah, if, bad training environment, get out of there. But on paper, I felt that she was one of the few examples of a good fighter to go to TriStar, where it's like, okay, give her a little bit of jab, bring generalship and a fo- more focus on on wrestling fundamentals. Um, that's going to put together a, a Muay Thai uh, submission game, uh, fill in her holes really nicely. Easy, guys. Um, and uh, I, I would argue we, we saw some of that, at least maybe initially, right? And especially that 125 bout she did have in the UFC. Uh, was she still in the UFC against uh, Valerie Letourneau? Um, but... Um, but yeah, then she goes to Syndicate, and I'm like, I don't know who's, who's doing the grappling there. Like, Roxanne Mataferi, who was in her corner, uh, or Frank Mir teaches, like, classes there sometimes. Like, who's exactly doing the jiu-jitsu? Um, I know Tom Lawler kind of does the wrestling, but that guy's kind of making his own living, doing pro wrestling, and trying to fight, and dealing with his own issues as well. And you look in the corner, and yeah, Mataferi's in her corner, but she's not yelling ground advice. John Wood, the Muay Thai coach, is... Uh, or the man, uh, his MMA coach, I guess, but you mainly see him just holding pads and doing striking with guys. Like, why is he the one shouting ground advice? And it wasn't terrible advice. It was just very basic advice, like underhook, retain guard, like, eh, okay, I guess. Like, there's multiple times where she was by the fence, and there was not one where it was like, create space, create a scramble, feet on the hips, push the head, use the cage, scoot to the cage, get on a hip, Un- you know, uh, it was it was it was not the greatest advice, and I didn't like it. I'm like, ooh, this is 
this is bad. Uh, I felt like, you know, Kalindra Faria could be competitive on the feet, but if she's showing the ability to just be able to take her down and hold her, that's, 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 that's bad. And, of course, she gets a submission within the last 30 seconds of the fight. And a very basic setup. Looks like Faria just kind of fell asleep, and that's not her specialty, I guess, so whatever. Uh, I don't know how impressed it's going to be. And I remember thinking, I'm like, ooh, that's an insta-fade moment where that's a bunch of false confidence. Like, she probably shouldn't have gotten that submission and that win, at least in that fashion. Um, and if things haven't changed, I, I kind of worry. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Lipsky. Rooting for Calderwood. She's a live dog. Um, for me, it's kind of dog or pass because it's hard to be super confident in a girl we haven't seen fight, fight in the UFC yet. Uh, that's my opinion on that. All right, next, uh, heavyweights. Um, also on the avoid list is uh, Alonzo Menafield, who's minus 270, pretty high price tag against Vinicius Mojeda, plus 230. Um, Mojeda looks like a jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, I'm not sure his rank. I probably should have looked that up, but uh, definitely looks like a jiu-jitsu guy, more from the gi. Striking not all that great. I picked Alonzo Menafield to knock him out for that, more athletic, um, decent grasp on fundamentals, and, and, and appears to be a quick learner, still in his athletic prime. So he should win this, but it worries me because it's like, what if it gets out of the first round? Menafield's only been out of the first round twice. And uh, both those fights ended pretty quickly in the second. Um, and, uh, you know, what if, you know, Venezius is able to take him down or get on top in a scramble? This just turns into an ugly heavyweight fight. And for that reason, I feel like the price tag's too heavy. Both guys aren't proven enough, even though I agree. I agree that Menafield should be the favorite, and I'm picking him. Um, but I, I picked Menafield, and I stayed away. I actually put, like, a... a just a couple bucks for for shits and giggles because I saw plus I, I put I put like two bucks by the like I, I think or two or three just for shits and giggles it's like plus fifteen fifty for Mojeda for like by TKO and I'm like why why buy a heavyweight by TKO granted he only has one TKO on his record and you look at his punching mechanics and he really doesn't look like he put together too well but the reason why is because like who's again if this turns into an ugly heavyweight fight if if uh, in my opinion it does if Menafield doesn't get the finish in the first round. It could very well turn into that. And in that, not only can Mojeda get this fight to the ground and get on top, if you know he doesn't get a submission, a lot of his submissions are from top side. So if he doesn't get the submission, uh, or maybe he's been improving on it because he realizes he's, in, he's not only in MMA but at a higher level, he's going to have to hold that top side longer and, and do some damage first. I, I, I could see him getting like an accumulation stoppage if, he's, if he is to score the upset. So that line kind of just jumped uh jumped way out because I think like the submission props were like plus 180 or plus two something like it's not it's a huge difference I just felt really weird anyways but not saying you should fucking sprinkle on it just felt weird to me uh, for a fight that I'm avoiding anyways so yeah whatever uh next fight oh man Corey Sandhagen the dark horse at Bantamweight minus 500 against Mario late replacement Mario Batista plus 400 um, Sanhagen actually gave a great breakdown of this guy on the uh, Slip and Dip podcast. Shout out to Matthew Wells and Kendrick on the Slip and Dip podcast. Um, yeah, I had an interview with him on there, and uh, he had a good breakdown of him. But there wasn't really too much, too much to break down, though. I mean, there's only a couple fights available, and they're older. But this this guy Bautista is an MMA lab kid, so he's got good direction. He's athletic. He gets after it, but um, just not the not. I guess not actually not not athletic, but. Uh, He's a good hard worker, a good gas tank, but I don't know how athletic he is and how skillful he is to put put to put it nicely, I guess. And uh, I think that's gonna you know make the difference between him surviving to the end or not. And I think uh, I think just yeah, I'm super high on Sanhagen the way he puts it on dudes. 
Um, and what I was worried about was saying, hey, you know, veteran guy, submission savvy guy, guy that can control him on the ground. And we saw him in the worst submissions against Yuri Alcantara, and he was able to survive that. Um, it's going to take a, a hell of an upset for Batista to win. So I got Sanhagen here. Obviously, minus 500 is way too juiced, which is why there's no parlay pieces. Not that those are really viable. Again, I, like I always say, it's a madman's game in MMA to try to parlay. But Sanhagen inside the distance, my minus 145 was chalk. I'm, I, I didn't feel bad about pouring heavy on. Uh, at least for me, because I bet small, and for props, there are limits too. Of course, guys, depending on the house, if they even offer them. But uh, let's just say uh, I bet half the limit straight up and then put the other half on a parlay, because those are within the range of old Dan Tom's nine-year-old allowance bets, right? Uh, and I paired that with Alexander Hernandez. Um and uh and just and just 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 played that straight up for, for plus money. Um don't have it straight in front of me. I'm looking at the time I gotta get get this thing picked up, folks. Sorry. Uh T Edwards next fight, your favorite, minus one thirty versus Dennis Bermudez. Moving up to lightweight plus one ten. Um I was listening to interviews right before I jumped on here from earlier in this week. Uh Mike Bond and John Morgan were able to get a junkie on the YouTube channel there. And uh yeah, T Edwards only is only fighting on three weeks' notice. Got this fight on uh the call literally on Christmas Eve, whereas Bermuda's uh, roughly around that time, a little bit more time. He was trying to get a fight before then, was trying to get Ryan Hall, but Ryan Hall wouldn't fight him at 55, and then it didn't even work out at 45, so he was a little sore about that. But uh, it's probably for the better, and also kind of shows <laughs> Bermuda's his IQ. Like, come on, man, don't take these fights like that. Anyways, he takes this fight, which I think is a stylistically bad matchup. I really wanted to. Go for Bermudez here. You guys know he's another guy I kind of defend to the bitter end. But not only is it it's the four losses, but I, th I think it's a bad stylistic matchup. And I'm real tempted to take the grinder over the athlete in general. But if you notice, I, for the most part, I took the athlete over the grinder on this card. Um, and I did so again here. Um, I just feel like I feel like Bermudez can win this by decision and, and Grimes. We don't know a lot about T. Edwards at the high level past that. He almost looked like he was getting tired, although he was seemed pretty uh, very athletic, very professional for what it's worth, his explanations, but seemed to chalk it off to focus, which definitely was something as well. But I wonder if there's a gas tank issue there or maybe that was a adrenaline dump from his debut. He was fighting overseas. There was a lot of intangibles. I think we'll see more of the real T. Edwards, but this guy's like Josh Koscik in every way. The wrestler, the uh, the look, the confidence, the right hand, the style. Um, and I see that right hand kind of landing again. Bermuda's for much as I love him, he's always getting dropped. And against a, a big guy for 155, um, I think T. Edwards is going to get done in the first round. It's a, you know, it's first round or knockout is if you're going to play T. Edwards, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not too confident on him winning the decision. Uh, I don't disagree that he, you know, feels like he's the better wrestler or that he's good enough of a wrestler to not let that be controlled by Ramirez. But I don't know how confident I am with him winning a decision. So there's that. All right, Bilal Muhammad, underdog, plus 155. Jeff Neal, minus 175. This, this is a fun fight. Uh, again, this is another kind of grinder versus the athlete. Really wanted to take the grinder here. Big fan of Billy B 170, but I, I couldn't pull the trigger on him. Um... You know, I may sprinkle on him because it's dog or pass in my opinion, but I couldn't pull the trigger on Bilal. Went with Jeff Neal. I really love that southpaw stylings. I really love Sif Saeed doing his 4-7 MMA. And even though he's, you know, still working his gig as a server, 
he shows that he can still progress and he's still progressing and, and, and has all the skills um, to win here, at least this matchup too. And uh, he also knows to pick up when guys dip to their right. A lot of shorter guys for, for divisions have to do that. You know, very like that Marciano, I'm gonna dip to my right and low. And not as low as Rocky because of head kicks, but still just because, you know, you're dipping, you're still available for that, which we saw Frank Camacho. Now, I'm sure Bilal Muhammad's smart enough with his camp, has enough southpaws to train with. I'm sure we're going to see Bilal Muhammad with a focus on moving to his left um, to get away from uh, Jeff's left. But Bilal still instinctively kind of dips right. And what worries me is Bilal's actually making improvements. Um, you know, he's he, if you've been following his career for a minute, I think it's easy to see the same Bilal. But if you look at that last fight, it's hard because he's only fought once in 2018, which makes it even harder to forecast this fight with his potential improvements. But he showed improvements that last fight in, in June uh, in, in 2018. Uh, granted, you know, Chance, uh, Rencounter, is a, which who we'll get to is, isn't the most devastating striker, or the most put-together boxer, but the fact that he was able to, you know, slipping, coming over the top, just showing, being much more fluid in space and much less written. Uh, I would argue for Bilal, and that's going to come in handy here. Although I would argue a lot of those slips and whatnot, and that comfortability when he is playing in the pocket now, he will revert to like what a lot of orthodox fighters do: is dip to the right and and and, and southpaws. I can tell you, we love that. Uh, we're just always looking for guys to dip for whether we want to run them into our cross or that cross head kick uh, de deadly combo that we know Jeff Neal has. So um, again, Bilal did beat a southpaw to kind of counter his recent um, trouble against him. You know, he lost to uh, Joe Ban and uh, Tim Means, though he did win. And I was impressed, you know, with that. It was a close fight, obviously, a split decision. So, um, and Means goes southpaw a lot. So, but yeah, so I'm, I'm picking Jeff Neal, but I ain't playing. I'm rooting for Bilal here, man. I really am. It's a dog or pass if you ask me. All right, and lastly, but not leastly, kicking off uh, on the ESPN one portion of the card, Kyle Stewart minus one sixty five chance, Rencounter, uh, counter uh, as your dog plus one forty five. Uh, figured Rencounter would be the favorite, and then I was like, no, it's gonna be close because Kyle Stewart is, is is put together and probably could beat him if it was more of a fresher matchup. Then I look closer, and I go, oh wait. Kyle Stewart was training for a fight that was like barely two weeks away, so he's already in shape for this one. This isn't that. This is if it was just a seven-day notice traveling across the United States, I wouldn't know how I feel about that UFC debut. Feel a little better about it. Um, I don't know how confident I am. I may may play it depending. I wasn't. Exp I'm not that surprised that he's favored, but I was surprised to see up to minus one sixty-five, which isn't a high price tag. But again, if I'm being uber critical, I just felt like maybe he should have been a little closer. Recontour in his credit. He's not impressive to look at on tape, but those guys are hard to deal with when you're in there. That's why, um, you know, he can go the distance and not get finished, uh, whether it's on the ground or on the feet. Like, he seems like a guy who can survive. He's got some decent wrestling himself. Um, whereas Kyle Stewart, more potent on the ends of the spectrums, whether it's the submission spectrum or the spiking spectrum. It's He's better there. It's that in-between space he's going to have to get past, that grinding, the wrestling um, and, and all that, and that you know the weird footwork, uh, which again Stewart's got weird footwork of his own because he comes from karate, 
uh, we had him in, in studio. He's kind of a, he's got got a screw loose, and I mean that in, in respect in all the best of ways. I mean, he was a Marine Corps machine gunner, a window gunner on a helicopter plane. I mean, you gotta be, you gotta have some fucking screws loose, okay? To, to be that's my position, and he's proud of it, man. I mean, guns up. Uh, the dude's uh, dude's special. I'll, I'll put it that way. And uh, rooting for him here, sweet guy. Uh, obviously, I mean that in an endearing way, and uh, and I'm picking him here. Uh, all right, so uh, just to recap, I guess. Uh, just to recap, I'll go from 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 bottom to top, and then recap the plays here, and I will timestamp. Remind you guys, I, I do timestamp episodes, even though this isn't a long one. Um, I got Kyle Stewart beating Chance Ren counter. I'm taking Jeff Neal to beat Bilal Muhammad, uh, De- uh, T. Edwards to beat Dennis Bermudez, I got Corey Sanhagen over Mario Batista, Alonzo Menafield over Vinicius Mojeda, uh, taking Ariana Lipsky over Joanne Calderwood, Alex Hernandez over Donald Cerrone, Glover Teixeira over Carl Robertson, taking Paige Van Sant over Rachel Ostovich, Joseph Benavidez over Dustin Ortiz, Gregor Gillespie over Yancey Medeiros, Greg Hardy over Alan Crowder, and T.J. Dillashaw over Henry Cejudo. I know it's all chalk there, guys. That's kind of just how, how, how the analysis ended up. Um, Hernandez, minus 185. I threw down on that. Teixeira, minus 120. I threw down on that for my straight plays. Uh, the only parlay thing I, I, I did, I, I, I teamed up Hernandez and um, Sanhagen inside the distance. I know there's limits on that, so I'm not expecting you guys to tail. I apologize, but that's just me being honest. It's what I played. Yes, I just said the prop. Ten Hagen inside this, this, the distance, minus 145. Also laid on that. Sprinkled on some fun flyers like TJ Dillashaw, rounds four or five. Uh, Teixeira by submission. Um, <laughs> yes, a couple bucks on Mojeda by TKO because that was absurd. But that fight, Mojeda versus Menafield, is on the avoid list. So is Gillespie and Madero's. That's a dogger pass. Calderwood, Lifsky, another dogger pass. And Bermuda's Edwards, just too too crazy for me to call. Uh, fantasy, if you're looking for dogs, I imagine Cerrone will be a popular one. So I suggest Yancey Medeiros, um, Bilal Muhammad, and Kyle Roberson will be potential scoring dogs in different ways. Uh, Yancey will be able to defend takedowns and possibly score an upset, in my opinion. Uh, not as more of a chance, at least, than the odds reflect, obviously, on Gregor. Uh, Bilal... Uh, can score more takedowns than what he gets credit for, even against a wrestler. And I think his volume and numbers are nice, too, for striking. And Roberson obviously could get that first-round KO, even though I'm taking Teixeira. Uh, all right. That's it for uh, ESPN One Plus. Uh, apologies for the late episode. Um, reminder, five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes are appreciated. MixedMartialAnalyst.com, where you can find us outside of iTunes for now. Uh, Smartphone-friendly players will play on any smartphone. You don't have to stay on the website. You can exit out and go up, up, up amongst your day. But, yeah, that is um, that is MixedMartialAnalyst.com, where you can find the banners on the side for Amazon and on it. You click through. It doesn't cost you anything. Whatever you shop for Amazon or on it, small percentage goes back to the podcast. So I appreciate that. going to read off a list here in a little bit. Um, deciding if I want to do another top five episode or just a breakdown episode for Bellator next week, let me know uh, what you guys want. I'm probably going to reach out to uh, another friend, actually, after uh, I get this edited. Um, good luck on the plays. Enjoy the fights this weekend. And, of course, always protect your neck. <laughs>